Welcome to Vision Magnified. We are a podcast that showcases the blind community living limitlessly. Breaking barriers and smashing stereotypes. Proving that we are more than just our disability. Happy Thriving Thursday, everyone. Um, Welcome to Vision Magnified. I'm Sasha. And I'm Amber. And today we are talking about blind services. How do you find them? How do you find out about them? And what do you do when you need them? All that kind of good stuff. So before we get to our topic at hand, Amber, how has your week been? My week has been a week. (laughs) Um, I've had, (laughs) of course, you know, the the pandemicking keeps pandemicking. Kids keep coming home from school. Mine don't have COVID, but they keep being near people who do. Um, I got to go to In-N-Out Burger yesterday. For the first time since I came back to California. So that was kind of fun. And uh, yeah, very uneventful and kind of just chill. So my week is pretty okay. I mean, nothing too awesome. Um, My brother's birthday was yesterday, but he is sick and he doesn't know what it is. So he didn't do anything. Um, I guess there was supposed to be like a dinner or something for him, but he like canceled because he w- didn't want to get anyone else sick. Um, yeah. I think like most of my family back home is sick. When I came back from Atlanta, I came back from to my family being sick and they're just starting to get better now. So it's good to hear that from home. But me personally, I am finally starting to feel human and getting back to like answering calls and messages and all the things that I had neglected while I was hibernating. Um, mm. It was kind of hard for me to start the year because I was like, yeah, I'd rather sleep. I'm tired. <laughs> but right. but now I'm, I'm up and going. I feel human and I'm back in the swing of things, I guess. And that, that's been my week is trying to get, get used to taking the dog for a walk every morning again and um, answering emails and all the stuff that you do. Um, or avoid doing when you kind of want to hibernate. So we wanted to talk about this topic because it's something that for me, I know that I was not given this information when I was fresh out of high school. Um, actually it took me many years to find these, these services out. And I don't know why my VH teacher, um, didn't tell me, but they didn't. And, um, there I was, you know, out of school and not having any clues to what resources were available to me. So if you are sighted and you're listening to the podcast, you might not know what a VH teacher is. It just occurred Good to point. me. Yeah, it just occurred to me when we were talking about it in one of our um, last episodes, I think. Um, so a VH teacher. So there are a few teachers that will come and visit you uh, as a blind student in your school if you are signed up. Um, through your school as legally blind or as blind, um, you'll get a, let me know if I'm leaving any of these out, Amber, but there'll be a mobility teacher. You might even have adaptive PE when you are in, um, grade school, like grade one through five. There are IEPs that you should be having yearly. And then there's a VH teacher. Now an orientation and mobility teacher. Um, I had one since I was three and it started out with me that she would, introduced me to cars and streets and things like that and we were not doing any street crossings at the time but it was all just um 
these are cars, these are streets, this is how cars work, like they drive on the right side of the road. It was very basics that they were teaching me at a young age. Wow, I didn't have it that young. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, Mine they, didn't start until I was in grade school. Yeah, they pulled me out um, of preschool and actually did talks with me and stuff like that. And then I don't recall having mobility again until the first grade. Because I remember in kindergarten, they they did not have mobility for me, I don't believe. Um, and then as I got older, it turned into, this is how you cross a street, this is what a clicker is, like this is how to do echolocation, um, this, this is a cane, and this is how you use your cane, this is a monocular, this is how you use your monocular, and this is how you use your monocular and your cane together. I wasn't even given a cane until high school. So see, like just the difference in just counties and how they run their services for the blind is kind of interesting. Yeah. So I got my cane in, I believe, the fourth grade. Did I want to use it? Hell no. But I had it. I had all these tools growing up with my orientation and mobility teacher. The adaptive PE teacher that shows up around grade one through five they basically just t take you to a little room, and they, I think what they're doing is they're making notes on your balance, on your poise, on your um, dexterity, all those things that, that you want to make sure are normal. And they make notes on you, basically, and then I guess they, they present that in your IEP. And then mm -hmm. your parents can do what they need to do with that result. Like, for example, I had a bone density test when I was 10 because... Um, it was thought that I was not um, maybe as strong as I should be for my age. So they can find out things about you in the adaptive PE classes. A VH teacher is that's a visually handicapped. I believe that's what it stands for. And they will come to your school. And my best guess is that what they do is they have, uh, they're supposed to meet with you once a week. And or once every so often, mine, mine only came once every blue moon. And they are to discuss the things that you are in need of in your class. And they're supposed to provide those things. They're supposed to figure out how to get those things for you. So interesting, because there again, I had a VH teacher and all I was doing was going in and practicing stuff that I was learning in class. Like I remember my name, my last name, cause it's so long. Um, and so I practiced that or I practiced writing my number eights because they didn't like you putting two circles on top of each other to be <laughs> an eight. But I also had a, I had the IEP, you know, meetings with my teacher, like my principal and all that, but I had a, this other lady that was from like the SELPA office. And I don't even know what that even stands for at this point but like I just remember her she was the one that got me the things I needed mm -hmm. and in elementary school my VH teacher just worked with me on classwork and then I don't even think I had a VH teacher in see I went to a resource class and they, they called it resource and uh, at the resource yeah. class that's when I would work on like my number eights my number sixes because for whatever reason I could make not make a six and I would work on matching or patterns or whatever they felt that I needed to work on. That was just resource. That was through my school specifically. And yeah, that's what it's called. I remember that now. And but that was my VH teacher that was doing that. Really? Um, and then I had that later. And then when I was in high school, I was in resource. But basically, 
I was in a room full of jocks who couldn't get their GPAs up, but still wanted to play sports. And so they got busy work. We all got busy work, uh, worksheets. For, for me, what my VA teacher did, she came in, I want to say something like quarterly, because she really didn't come that often. And um, I had three VH teachers out throughout my entire career. All they did was they took me out, we sat at the lunch benches, we talked about how school was going, um, and for the most part that was it, then I went back to class. But some of them actually asked, what can I do for you? Do what do you what do you want? Like do you need extra paper, different paper, different pens? You know, what do you like to do? And I would tell them like, oh, I'd like to read. Okay, well fine. Let's get you in contact with Brill Institute. We'll get you these books on tape. These services will all take us out of our class, all out of our mainstream classroom, and they would work with us throughout our school day. A VH teacher, and this I found out later on, when you are a senior in high school. What they are supposed to do is they are supposed to prepare you for what comes ahead and it starts your junior year they'll tell you what to expect your senior year which is when you start filling out applications for college if you're going to college or you will start getting signed up with commission for the blind or voc rehab of some sort um, and they're supposed to tell you all the services that are available to you like independent living skills centers they're supposed to set you up with all of these things that you might need when you're coming into your adulthood and uh -huh. my teacher did none of that no nope, none of that there was none of that <laughs> so here i am i've graduated high school and i have no clue what to do i think that it's all over any blind services that i was uh entitled to or was given are now gone and i don't know what to do and the one thing that was a constant with me throughout my youth was the Braille Institute. And yes. through the Braille Institute, I learned about what was in our area called uh, Department of Rehabilitation. Basically, to my mind and my experience, they were just there to help me either go to college or get a job and get the resources that I need. It took going to Braille Institute and then their youth program going, okay, well, you're not gonna be a part of our program anymore this is what your next step is going to be to like even get that yeah and the thing is is that for for the two of us who had that because of the state that we grew up in countless of blind individuals never got anything like this and they mm -hmm. didn't know what to do because either they spent their entire life masking or their parents never talked to them about them about um being blind or anything like that um so they had absolutely no idea because it was not an advertised thing. Your VH teacher or your people who were your support during school um, never made you aware of this. This was stuff that we had to find out on our own. And then how to get, because we, we heard, I heard the name. I remember, and I'll speak for me, I, I remember hearing the name um, Department of Rehabilitation. And I'm, I'm thinking, is this a center? Am I going to be detained? Like it kind of, the name really kind of scared me. Because it's like, I've spent my whole life trying to not be blind. I'm not going to then turn around and give my entire well-being up to this institute. So it scared right. me off of it. Eventually, when I did go and talk to them, they're like, oh, well, we don't. They're like, oh, our counselors don't deal with you. We have a counselor that deals with you. And, like, literally, that's how they said it. And I'm like, what do you mean deals with me? Like, they, I guess they, uh, my area... At the time that I started going to evoke rehab, had one counselor for the blind. 
Now, uh-huh. we're going to talk about all the services that we know about, um, but what seems to be a recurring theme when it comes to any kind of vocational rehab is that there's one or two counselors for the blind in a particular area, and they are overloaded with cases. Uh-huh. I don't know one office that I've ever been to that didn't have files stacked on files stacked on files and I've had in my life two totally blind counselors who I don't know how they kept their things together because there there was files everywhere um and um one of the if if they were not blind and they were fully sighted their files were everywhere on the floor they literally had to walk me through um, a path that they had carved in all of their case files. So they're very overloaded, and that's a huge problem. I remember very quickly on um, feeling like I had to stand out because if I didn't, my case was going to fall through the cracks. So I was communicative, and I learned how to write emails that were concise and stated exactly what I needed. Um, and, you know, it. I felt like there just weren't enough counselors who dealt with the visually impaired or totally blind. And I felt like there were like, I would say there was like maybe seven counselors to everyone else and then two to us. And that seems to be the case in every place that I've gone, except for the Commission for the Blind. These services are very localized to where you are. Like, for example, in California, you know, because a lot of the counties like and cities bump up against each other, like you could live on the border of two counties or whatever, and you have to go to the one that's farther away from you because that's still a county one or that's the Orange County one. And then like when I was in Oregon, it was kind of like everybody came to Portland from all around Oregon. You know, they had satellite centers, but pretty much for all the independent living stuff and, you know, even some of the voc rehab stuff, I believe everybody came to Portland. In New York, uh, when I was in Buffalo, I believe everybody went to the, I, it's not it's not called this still, but it was at the time, I think it was the Olmstead Center for Sight. Everybody went there for the eye doctors, the low vision clinic, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and that was all around Buffalo. And if you went to, like, if you lived in, like, Rochester, there was a center there. Um, mm-hmm. th- so it's very localized depending on where you are. And I want to make sure that we distinguish the different services. So and smaller states will probably have one century, like smaller states or uh, states with smaller populations will probably have one place that you go for the whole state too so it's very dependent upon where you live so let's break these down into the different services that we know about and we'll go ahead and start with the lighthouse guild so the lighthouse guild is a not-for-profit organization that helps um low vision or visually impaired people with various things i believe they do uh, different uh, adaptive technologies. They do even healthcare services. Like they have social workers. Um, they have a lot of different services that you can get. Um, and so they are not for profit, um, which I believe the difference between a non profit and a not for profit is like a non profit's run like a business um, and they try to earn a profit, uh, which it, it doesn't support like any 
I guess, single member of that not nonprofit. And then a not-for-profit, like what the Lighthouse Guild is, is um, they're kind of considered, a, I guess, a recreational organization. And they're not, they're, it's not like a business-oriented, um, revenue-driven service that they provide. So I guess that's the difference between the two, as I understand it. So they are a not-for-profit, meaning they don't try to earn revenue. Um, and they will help you um, in many different facets, and they are kind of all over the country. I know that the, the biggest one or their main headquarters is in New York, if I'm not mistaken. And they have them all throughout the East Coast and even into the West Coast. They're not in every state, but they are in several states. Um, for example, California, I didn't even know, has one in Southern California in the Inland Empire and one up in the Bay Area. Yeah, I know they also have them in Washington, in different, very, in different parts of Washington, Spokane, Seattle, um, Lakewood, just to name a few. I know that they also have them um, in Northern California, in Berkeley. Um, they have them in Florida. A lot of, if you run across any uh, visually impaired people throughout um, social media or anywhere, like in the country, they'll tell you a lot of them that they've worked with the Lighthouse Guild um, or Lighthouse for the Blind, depending on where they're, they're located. Um, so they are all throughout the area. It's just a really good idea to get familiar with Google and um, find the place in your state. Now, if they don't have a Lighthouse Guild or a Lighthouse for the Blind, they most likely will have a commission for the blind. Um, commissions for the blind, I've seen them in uh, New York. I have seen them in the Carolinas, um, in Washington, D.C. Um, they have one here in Oregon. Um, I don't believe they have any in California, do they? In California, support no. rehabilitation. Commission for the Blind is not in California, but they're, they are, Commission for the Blind are in Washington. And from what I understand, our state agencies. Yeah, and they, so if they don't have a commission where you are, they will have a Department of Rehabilitation or something similar to that. I think there's a small difference between the lighthouses versus the commissions versus the Department of Rehabilitations. Is that correct? I believe so, though the commissions kind of bundle the Department of Rehabilitation and Independent Living Skills training into one. Right, like, so if you go to, like, a lighthouse, um, they do a lot of um, everything from independent living to um, adaptive technology. They, they basically have you covered with everything that you'll need. When you go to, like, a commission for the blind, they do the ILS stuff like we talked about last week. Um, they also will help you try to find a job. They will get you the equipment needed for that job. And, uh, but they'll, they will also, um, encourage you to do that yourself. Whereas mm -hmm. in my experience, department of rehabilitation, they'll get you the equipment they need, uh, that you would, would need. Um, they don't so much, I mean, they work together with you to find a job. It's not so much placed on you to find it. Um, but they will work together with you to find what's best for you. And then they will do what they need to do to contact people they might know in the industry, or they might send you recommendations that they find, you know, if you're just more interested in getting a job. 
these are some of the blind services that you can have as an adult. And I do want to also touch on the services that we spoke about earlier so that way you guys have a better understanding because one of the things that makes me very shocked I guess and disheartened is that a lot of people don't know about any of these services and we should be educated and we should be educating each other on these services um orientation and mobility is something that we both got in school but some people do not get it in in school for whatever reason but if you are somebody, let's say, who's very sheltered, somebody who's very who's just lost your sight and don't know what to do, if you have it as a goal to get around your neighborhood, to learn things about your neighborhood, this is a perfect service for you. Orientation and mobility um, is where they have an instructor come out to you, or sometimes you will meet them if it's part of your lesson, um, and they will teach you how to cross streets safely. They will teach you how to take a train or a bus. They'll teach you how to shop in a grocery store. They'll teach you how to locate the aisles that you'd like using the vision you have or using other methods. They -hmm. will also recommend equipment. And if they are based out of a commission for the blind or voc rehab office, they'll often help you acquire that equipment. They also um, will help, will assist you, especially if they are um, connected with a vocation of voc rehab, they will help you with getting to job sites, navigating the transit to a, a job interview, showing you kind of where the front door is, that kind of thing as well. Yeah, they're very good at working with you to find what is best suited for you as far as getting you comfortable with being out and about on your own. If you have never used a cane, they will teach you. If you never used any kind of adaptive technologies um, that will help you be out and about like a monocular or if you use, um, like I know some people use like clickers for echolocation or they, mm-hmm. they do a lot of things by echolocation, um, they can help you develop that as well, some of them. Um, so there's anything that you want to do to be out and about independent they will assist you with that. These are all free services. These are all free to you. Um, that's another thing that, that deters people is that they don't know how much they have to pay and they're already on a fixed income. These are all free services to you. And if you find things that want to start charging you money, don't. Those are usually scams. Yeah, I have never run aground of anything that wants to charge me money for the services they provide. I have lived in California and in Oregon and New York, and there I have not one time run into anything um, that wanted to charge me money. So it happens. It does happen when you Google, uh, unfortunately, sometimes. So yeah. So be aware just... of scams. One hundred percent. Be aware of scams. Um, <laughs> I am looking at a directory that I found because it's it's difficult, right? One hundred percent. It is difficult to find blind services um, when you don't know where to look, right? So there are services all over the country. And I know that there are also services in Canada. Um, My apologies to anyone in Canada or surrounding countries that we don't know more about things in other countries. I want to stick to things that we know a lot about because I would hate to mislead anybody in any other country. What I would like to do at some point is come together with people in other countries and start listing some services uh, for all of you who listen to the podcast, you can find these things because it's a travesty 
for people to grow up and be going to school and to be out of school and never have had any of these services. What we're going to do is before too long here, we will have our website up and one of the basics that we're going to touch about, touch on on this website and speak a lot about are the services available to you as blind people um, because we deserve it and we deserve to know about these things. And one of the things that I will encourage you to do is when you get a counselor, if you have a social worker or somebody who's working on you for working with you on finding a job, don't give up on them. Be consistent. Make sure they uphold the contract that you'll sign together because you are expected to do certain things like show up for meetings and um, do what is asked of you to find a job or whatnot. But they are also under obligation to help you and to be there and to support you in this venture. Um, so if you already have a counselor and they're not getting back to you, it is in their contract with you to con uh, to communicate consistently with you on the goal of finding you employment or getting you those services that they promised you. And if you have signed a contract, I guarantee you that is part of their contract. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to talk about specifically was the IEP. And that stands for Individualized Education Plan. To my mind, and I'll ask Amber her thoughts if, if anything differs for her. Um, for me, it was mostly a meeting that a bunch of adults got to have and I did not get to sit in on. Um, that talked about my education and how I was going to receive instruction and what accommodations were going to be met for me. Um, my mom didn't really talk to me a whole lot before the IEP. And I never got to sit in on it until my junior year where I refused to go to school unless I got to sit in on it because up until this point, I had almost gone my entire school career without being in on my IEP. Amber, um, were you in on your IEPs? How was that for you? It's hard for me to remember elementary school so much, but I believe I was actually, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I was in on my IEPs from at least the upper grades through high school. I, I didn't really get, like my mom didn't talk to me about them before the IEP meeting actually happened either, but I was pulled from class and I was in the room with the IEP team. Um, and the IEP team usually consisted of my mom, uh, because my dad worked shift work, uh, my mom, the principal, the VH teacher, the lady from the SELPA office, my O&M instructor, and in the upper grades of elementary school, my teacher, but then in high school, it was like the homeroom teacher or the, the guidance counselor. Um, and yeah, I, I, I remember, I don't remember getting a lot of say-so in things. I was told you're going to have large print books. You're going to have a slant board. You're going to have this paper with the big lines. You're going to have um, access to a CCTV once I got to high school, you know, that kind of thing. You're going to be pulled out for, oh, for mobility training. You're going to be pulled out for uh, adaptive PE in elementary school, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I was just sat there and nodded my head. See, I, I never got anything like that. Um, no one ever talked to me before the IEP. Um, and my IEP team, uh, to my knowledge, was the same. It was my mom because my dad worked. Uh, my 
um, my mom, my VH, VH teacher, my orientation and mobility teacher, my resource teacher when I was in elementary school. I think the principal, and I was given a, I don't know what the term is, but it was basically one teacher who basically throughout my my school career would sit in on these IEPs, but did I ever have contact with them after I left their class? No, I did not. Um, I was never told about the things that were going to be implemented into my school career until they were presented to me at the time. And um, I basically spent a lot of my school career shook by new things that they were handing me, like big print books and a CCTV in my fourth grade class and fifth grade class, um, the slant board, the desk light. Um, I was having a lot of migraines in school and they thought extra light would help, but it really just made me even feel even worse because I was actually made car sick by the CCTVs at the time because of the way that they magnified letters and then also I couldn't use um, magnifying glasses and no one believed me, but the way that I see through magnifying glasses is it looks like a funhouse mirror where everything is long and stretched. And when I see things like that, it makes me sick. Um, so I was like the worst person to be born blind because at the time when I was going to school, we didn't have the digital magnifiers that we have now that make everything very clean looking. Um, so I spent a majority of my school career um, kind of nauseated by the things that they were doing. We never tried anything out with me in the IEP. It was just, hey, you know, we talked about this at your IEP. I was learning everything after the fact. And it always made me feel so small and so relegated and so not, you know, not considered, you know. Mm. Um, and that's common. That's a very, um, I, w- I was actually because I have kids who have IEPs for different reasons, I'm learning more about the IEP process and it is very common to not have the child in the IEP meeting at all, whether it be because they feel like they're not going to pay attention anyway or whatever. Like they're supposed to like talk to the child about what they need beforehand, but they don't. They just, you know, I feel like they just open a book and go, okay, this is the disability they have and this is what everybody else gets. Let's give it to them. Yeah. And I think that had I been given a voice, I would have probably, I would have opted for more blind training with Braille. Um, but because it was like they said, I don't know who they is, but they said that I was not to learn Braille and they said that I had to use my vision. Um, I, I think there was a time where I probably would have opted to learn Braille over trying to read in class because a lot of reading takes place out loud when you're a child and it's fine when you're in first second and third grade and you read like Frankie went to the store and bought two cups of sugar but when Whoa, you're in that fifth- was that was you in first grade <laughs> mine was the sun is up Buffy went I don't think went was even in the vocabulary. Buffy is up. Mac is up. Like, it was literally like. (laughs) But, I mean, it's perfectly acceptable to read very slowly when you're young. But when you get older, you look like you don't know how to read. And I would have much rather opted to learn Braille so that I could read the materials strongly and confidently. But Mm -hmm. I didn't have a say in that. it, It was... Um, I, I was greeted with these large print books and when I was little, I was very, very short. 
So these books went from my chin to past my waist. Um, they went to like my thigh maybe. And I was basically crawling on these books to read them. Yeah. Um, and it was very difficult and it was not something that I wanted to do. So it might have looked to my teachers and to my mom like I was just being a lazy student, but you're not even considering me when it comes to my school career and I'm frustrated and I don't have the voice to say how frustrated I am, nor do I have the vocabulary to express anything, but I'm mad because this is happening to me and no one is explaining things, you know, what's going on to me. It's just here, this is what you have to do. And it's not helping. You're trying to help me, but you're not listening or you don't even care what I'm saying. So you're not helping me. Exactly. And, you know, the IEP, like the whole goal of it is to be able to get you the services and things that you need to be able to function like the other students. Like, you know, maybe not have me participate in the popcorn reading or uh, like popcorn that kind of or, or, or the, um, you know, where you read a paragraph and then you say popcorn and then pick a person at random. That kind of thing wasn't discussed. The row reading where you go up and down the rows and you just knew it was your turn. Like how mm-hmm. many of you out there was like, OK, so it's going to be like. Cindy and Billy and Johnny and and Sam and then me. So that's one, two, three, four, five paragraphs. Okay, let me go down five paragraphs, memorize my paragraph so I didn't mm-hmm. look like, you know, I, I couldn't read when it was my turn. And then when it was my turn, I'm reading my paragraph like I knew it because I've been memorizing it these past five minutes. Like... And then my reading comprehension looks like crap on paper because I don't know what anybody else said because I was memorizing my paragraph. Exactly. That's a really good point, and I'm glad you made it because that's so often it's like, okay, so now I've read my paragraph. The pressure's off. Now let me, you know, it's not like now let me go skim the other paragraphs real quick. Okay, great. Now I've got a, you know, I don't got another paragraph for crap, I don't know, I can't count until it gets to my row, and the whole time I'm sitting there super anxious because it's coming to me again, and I'm not paying attention to what's being read, I'm paying attention to who's reading and how far along it is from me to have to count my paragraphs again. Like, that whole time, I'm not concentrating on learning, I'm concentrating on not looking stupid when it's time to read my paragraph. And, like, these kinds of things, you know, if you had talked about these kinds of things in my IEP, this might have helped me. You know, um, I know it's hard to get students to volunteer to read, but it's it's not, you know, it's not conducive to those of us who, who is really a struggle to read, period, versus reading out loud being even more of a struggle. It's not conducive to us learning at all. Um, And not just reading, like, math food like I I wholeheartedly believe to this day that I suck at math because nobody taught me math in a way that visually I could get like none of my they used to get on me because my long division didn't line up my multiplication numbers weren't in a in a line like everything wasn't aligned properly because I couldn't see it that way I couldn't see it that well I wrote it how I you know how I could and you know doing math problems at the board even worse like these teachers have this thing about picking the people that don't volunteer or picking the people that don't want to do it for whatever reason 
Well, I, th- I think that, you know, if you're thinking about, like, your typical everyday student, it could be, oh, you, you're just embarrassed or shy. Let me bring you up to the board. It's not so bad, you know, being in public, doing your thing, it's not so bad, you know, but when you have a visually impaired student and you know you have a visually impaired student, um, you should be working more actively as a teacher, yes, to make sure they know the material, but not to put them on display when they already might have insecurities and anxieties about um, being out in front of the class to begin with. Yep. I've many, many of times I remember having chalk on my nose from having to come up to the board and write things. Um, you know, and, and it, it, there's a lot of things that teachers do that if you have a visually impaired student, um, you know, could really, really help them if you didn't do these things. Or if you, if you are a teacher and you happen to be listening to this podcast, please advocate for your students to be in their IEP. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that there's not a whole lot you can do um, because it's not your child specifically, but advocate and let them know what a benefit it is to have students participate and get involved in their own scholastic career. Because I know if I had been able to say, please, can we not do large print books? Please, can we do books on tape? Please, can we not do popcorn in class? Please, can we just, um, you know, teacher picks popcorn, you know, that way I don't get chosen. It's like, I, it's not that I don't want to read in front of the class. It's just that it's hard for me to read. Like, do you, can you understand that this book is big as my torso? I've got just a piece of my eye reading this entire page. Can you have some empathy and maybe not call me because it's more difficult? You know, and if you want to know if I can read, if you want to test my comprehension or anything, then by all means, you know, keep me in that recess or keep me for a couple minutes after school. It's not going to take but a couple minutes of your time to make sure that you're doing your job with me. Um, you know, well, that just goes back to mainstreaming though, because they don't want to put anybody in a special day class. And it goes all the way back to, we need to mainstream these kids. They need to be in with all the other kids. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, that's a whole other topic because, mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to mainstream versus a blind school, um, those of us who've been mainstreamed, if we had the experience like Amber and I had, um, or like a lot of other blind children have had, we might have opted for a being, you know, going to a blind school because then we could concentrate on our education and not how we're viewed by our peers. Um, and not only that, but, um, people would be more understanding. And I would totally um, be on the side of, you know, let me do some classes with a school, with a mainstream school, so I know what it's like to have those social, you know, structures and whatnot, so I know that the world is different when you're out of a blind community. But also let me have the classes that matter in a place, in an environment where I can spread out and be my full blind self and, um, you know, take the read in front of the class and maybe be, you know, um, not feel bad about being one of the slower readers. Um, you know, let maybe like do more, um, problems with math because I need to learn how to line up my numbers, you know, give me the, the important subjects in a place where I feel comfortable, um, so that I can focus on learning and not yep. how I'm going to look doing Absolutely. this activity. And please, please, please know that your child, you know, as far as IEPs go, may have 
other things besides blindness that they need an IEP for. Beautiful point. Beautiful point. A child may have ADHD or anxiety or autism that hasn't been diagnosed under IEP protocol. You can have the school district test for those things because when your child is struggling, you blame it all on the blindness, but there could be underlying things that are also causing that struggle. I 100% agree because now that I'm an adult and I'm learning so much via TikTok about ADHD or ADD as in general, um, and now that I'm realizing signs of anxiety from the research that I've done, like I, I think that there was far more than just the blindness going on with me as a child. And because of the lack of information that was out there at the time, um, I, you know, everything was blamed on the blindness, which that might've been 99.99999999%. But I guarantee you part of that was the ADD and part of it was the anxiety. Now, granted, now granted, I feel like I have more anxiety that as an adult, but I think it's not that I have more. It's just that I'm paying more attention to the signs of anxiety that I'm showing. Absolutely. I mean, I was, I was diagnosed with ADHD at age 41. There might also be um, some sort of um, circadian issue going on if your child can't sleep at night. Um, One of the problems that my mom and I had a lot growing up is that I would not, I was a horrible insomniac, which means that I was super tired for school the next day. Um, and that was a big issue between my mom and I. And we just thought that I would, I just didn't want to go to bed. Like she just thought I just didn't want to go to sleep. Um, me, I just thought that maybe my brain wasn't tired enough and she thought my brain wasn't tired enough. Um, but what it could be is that I, and I, I didn't even think of this literally until a couple of weeks ago. I have a full eye that doesn't function right. It, Even though it can see light, dark, and shadows, it abdicates to the right eye, to my right eye, to the work, working eye. And whatever the working eye does is what it does. But, you know, I might be trying to go to sleep, but because this left eye has been completely dark all day, it's throwing off my rhythm and I don't even notice it because I do everything and think only about my working eye. Only I, what I was actually taught by my um, my cooking teacher actually um, back in Oregon had led a um, living with vision loss class um, thing, and people who are low vision are exhausted by using their vision so much. Exhausted, you have to like you have to work so much harder than a person with their full vision or even a person who is fully blind to use your sight. Yeah, so there are various disorders as blind people that might be throwing off that sleeping pattern. So whether you're sleeping too much or too little, that's always a good thing to check with your doctor on, especially like, um, I don't know if that would be more a vision doctor or a low vision doctor, um, but definitely check with your physicians and find out um, how you can go about getting tested for uh, your circadian rhythm maybe being off or being disrupted by your vision. This is something that like no one ever talked to me about, but um, recently I was I was talking with um, a fellow blind person and we were discussing like that circadian rhythm and the non-24 and whatnot. And it was only in that 
that instance that I realized, you know, like I have a whole part of my vision that's just dark all day. And Mm -hmm. maybe that was throwing me off. Yeah. So we don't know what we don't know. The best thing that we can do is check with doctors and, and do the research that we can do. Um, to get where we need to be. Haven't touched on that you wanted to touch on before we end the podcast. If you have somebody that you know that can help you, even to Google, you know, blind services in your area, um, definitely do that because it is a big help to know that there's something out there. There's there's some kind of an organization out there that's going to help you. And if you are a parent of a blind or visually impaired child and, you know, they're not quite school age yet, make sure you're getting in contact with the school districts early for, for IEPs set up and things like that. Um, Because it'll make a world of difference to that child. I mean, you know, if you're going the the mainstream school route, if you're going the blind school route, look look and see what's in your area again. You know, um, it's because it's really important for us to have all the resources, uh, you know, in our pocket that we are able to have. And let me just say too, if you are the parent of a child who is blind or visually impaired, um, you're going to have to be their advocate. And if you are not comfortable standing up or speaking out, this is going to teach you a great deal and help you hone that skill. Because as an advocate for your child, there will be times where they want to um, maybe not give or teach or do something with your child. And if it is important for you to learn it, you need to stand up and say, there are services available to my child that will help you help them learn this. And my Mm -hmm. child should not have to be excluded from anything. Um, As the parent, and I would one day like to get our parents on here for an interview. Um, As the parent of a blind child, it is your responsibility to speak up for them and give them a voice when they don't have one. Give them the words they don't yet know. To make sure that their scholastic career is everything that it should be. If they don't want to teach your child Braille, make sure they learn it. If they don't want to um, get you two sets of large print books for school or home or do a book share, advocate for it. Um, There are services, there are ways, and don't give up on your child. And if you don't, if you have a hard time, you know, uh, speaking up, uh, standing up, advocating, or you have, there's a language barrier, or if there's anything at all, there are advocates that are specifically trained and do it for free, who will come in with you to the IEP meetings, to the meetings, you know, prior to school, all of that. And they will stand up for the things that your child needs. Just search uh, special education advocates in your area. So the moral of the story here is, is that it might be a little bit difficult, especially if you have a visually impaired child, but but you can you can do it. Um, our parents did not know what they were doing. They were young parents and they got us through it. And yes, there were things that we both wish they would have done differently. At least I know I can speak for myself and say, yes, there are things I wish my mom would have done differently, but we know now and that you can always contact us at visionmagnifiedofficial at gmail.com. If you have any questions, 
um, as to what to do with your blind child being, you know, going into school or having issues with IEPs. And we will do our best to find you um, the resources that you need to, um, to help get that straightened out because no child should be stripped of an education just because of a disability. It's in this day and age, it's inexcusable. And um, there's, you know, there's plenty of ways that you can get around, um, you know, any barriers that you might face because of the disability. And I 100% agree with what Amber was just saying. If you have a language barrier, if you have maybe a learning disability of your own, if you are in any kind of need, definitely search out those advocates. Definitely get people enrolled and involved in what you are trying to cultivate for your child in a scholastic career. Don't give up. Absolutely. If you are newly blind and this is all just new to you um, and it's a little overwhelming, I understand that. But you have every right to the life that you enjoyed um, before your sight loss and don't give up. If you have a counselor or a social worker and they're not uh, doing what they say that they will do, um, I know that in different areas they call it different things, but there are people that you can go to who are above the people you're working with. Um, start by asking for a supervisor or a manager and then work your way up from there. I know in, uh, in California, and I think Oregon, it's the same. It's called CAP. Mm-hmm. Client assistance program, yeah. And they provide anything from advice to legal aid. If you're having issues with your counselor not being a party to what was in their contract that you signed. So please don't give up on yourself and please continue to advocate for yourself. It's a hard, hard, hard thing to do sometimes to advocate for ourselves, but don't give up. Absolutely. Thank you for checking out the podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed it and found it useful and informative. Um, we do want to get those resources up for you guys as soon as possible. Um, please do follow our TikTok for any information that we have to post um, between now and our next episode. I find that it's so easy just to plop in a TikTok and be like, hey, this is going on, you know. Um, so please do follow our TikTok. It's Vision Magnified Official. And uh, we just released our new logo. Yay! Um, <laughs> so check us out there as soon as we have these resources posted for you guys. Um, it will We will be putting out a video for that. And we have something very special coming for you guys next week that uh, should have been here before the new year, but I had issues with recording. So check out next week's episode. It's super special. It's something near and dear to my heart, and I hope it helps any of you out there dealing with what we have dealt with. So um, thank you again for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next time. You can find us as Vision Magnified Official on TikTok and Instagram, and on Twitter as VMO Podcast. See you next time!